Hello and welcome to the On-Call Consults in Less Than 10 Minute series on ENT in a Nutshell, a complement to Headmere's online survival guide. I'm your host, Will Dattar, and today we're joined by Dr. Scott Bevins, a board-certified facial plastic surgeon. In this episode, we will cover Lafort fractures. Let's jump right in. Lafort fractures are classified into three types, all of which include fractures of the pterygoid plates of the sphenoid bone. Lafort 1 is a transverse fracture of the maxilla. A Lafort 2 is a pyramidal fracture of the maxilla with involvement of the nasal bones at the nasofrontal articulation. Lafort 3 is a transverse fracture at the nasofrontal suture with lateral propagation through the medial and lateral orbits, finally coursing inferiorly through the zygomatic arches, in other words, craniofacial disjunction. Lafort fractures commonly present in combination or with variations in type between a patient's right and left side. Lafort 3 fractures have the highest incidence, are typically caused by high-velocity blunt force trauma, and have the highest association with concomitant intracranial injuries. So Dr. Bevins, asking about a differential diagnosis doesn't really apply here, but what are some associated injuries to be aware of, as well as some associated sequelae? As you mentioned, Will, these can be severe injuries with several concomitant maxofacial, cranial, or spine fractures, um, and they can result in long-term facial deformity. Patients can have a segmental facial nerve injury as well as other sensory nerve injuries. And periorbital injuries here are common and they can result in diplopia or vision disturbances. Malocclusion is also very common and that can be long lasting if the facial skeleton is not adequately restored. And what is some history that you focus on for these patients? Obviously, the mechanism of injury and the timing of injury is important. Uh, Loss of consciousness, uh, any suggestion of facial nerve paralysis, including the timing for that and then a history that's suggestive of syncope or seizure will require other consultations. And what are some supplies that you bring to these consults? You want to have appropriate PPE, including a mask, eye pro, gloves. Take a headlight or pen light for checking ocular examination, including pupillary reflexes in these patients, as well as a Snell and eye chart. Don't forget your tongue depressor to retract the cheeks. You'll need a good intraoral examination, as well as an otoscope for an ear exam, nasal speculum for intranasal exam, And for a septal examination, a cotton swab can be useful to assess for a septal hematoma. And Dr. Bevins, can you describe the physical examination of these patients? For all trauma patients, an effective primary and secondary trauma survey needs to be performed. And generally that's done before we arrived, but a sure ABCs are addressed. Focusing on the complete head and neck exam that we're going to do, get an idea of the general facial skeleton deformities. It's common to see mid-face shortening and impaction. Often there's significant facial swelling and concomitant lacerations we need to evaluate. And B, looking for hematomas. Those can be retrobulbar hematomas or septal hematomas, even expanding hematomas of the palate. Failure to recognize these, uh, particularly a retrobulbar or palatal hematoma, can result in blindness or airway compromise, respectively. Failure to recognize a septal hematoma can eventually result in ischemic necrosis of the septal cartilage and resulting uh, collapse of the vertical support, uh, causing a saddle nose deformity. We're going to test also for gross mobility of the maxilla with bimanual inspection. So we're going to rest one hand on stable, unaffected bone, usually the forehead or frontal bone, and then grasp the palate. I should note that a Lafort 3 fracture pattern, the total craniofacial disjunction, Um, is best identified by a lateral grasp of the orbital rims in the ZMC, and we're going to check for entire mid-face mobility. That's painful in these patients. So if the fracture is clear on imaging, consider delaying this until you get under a general anesthesia. 
Intraorally, we're going to look for an anterior open bite, which is very common with posterior contact of the molars. And then assess for concomitant dental alveolar trauma. That can be avulsions or subluxations of the teeth, uh, displaced dental alveolar fractures, um, or palatal fractures. Check for the cant of the maxillary occlusal plane, which again will often indicate impaction of the maxilla. And then look for a vestibular or palatal ecchymosis, which can support the diagnosis of underlying fractures. Deviation of the uvula or edema um, in the posterior pharynx uh, may indicate an expanding hematoma and require us to secure the airway more rapidly. A CT angio and or additional imaging may be indicated if there's a concern for a rapidly expanding hematoma. And then, as always, do a good nerve exam. Assess for a sensation in the midface and motor function of the brow and midface. The other thing we want to evaluate for is the potential for CSF rhinorrhea. These patients often have epistaxis, so it can be difficult to discriminate, but be aware as we're doing our exam as a CSF leak would warrant discussing this patient with neurosurgery. So Dr. Bivens, I know both Lafort 2 and 3 fractures extend through the orbital vault. Can you briefly describe how you evaluate the orbital fracture components as well as the evaluation for NOE fractures, which may also be present? Yeah, when we perform our periorbital examination, we want to check acuity and extraocular motion um, and assess for increased orbital volume. But we want to make sure the globes are soft um, to ensure that there's not a retrobulbar uh, hematoma. At the same time, we don't want to be applying a lot of pressure to an eye if there's any concern for an open globe. We can use that swinging flashlight test to assess for a Marcus Gunn pupil. And as you mentioned, because of the substantial risk of NOE fractures with Lafort 2 and Lafort 3 fractures, we want to be careful to measure intercanthal distance and look for blunting of the medial canthus. You can also perform a bowstring test, which assesses for the ability to laterally distract the medial canthus by pulling on the lower eyelid while palpating the lacrimal crest where you're feeling for fragment mobility. Bottom line is that most patients with a Lafort 2 or 3 injury pattern are going to require ophthalmology consultation as well. And Dr. Bevins, what are some of the imaging findings that we should be looking at? A CT max face, so that's a fine cut CT with 3D recons is an imaging of choice. And in these patients, a 3D recon is really helpful. By definition, a Lafort fracture involves the pterygomaxillary buttress. The differentiation, again, between that Lafort 1, 2, and 3 is based on the other concomitant vertical buttress fractures that are present. And you can actually have a different type of Lafort fracture on one side than the other. Usually, this will involve a palatal fracture or other midline fracture. So be aware of that as you're evaluating the CT because it has uh, treatment implications. And can you describe how you decide on surgical versus non-surgical management? Well, need for a surgical reduction here is multifactorial. Uh, these injuries often come with other facial fractures, which are going to additionally require intervention. But like all fractures, the factors that predispose towards operative intervention are, you know, the degree of displacement, mobility, specifically mobility of the palate, and the stability of those fractures. And that can be determined by unilateral versus bilateral nature of fractures, as well as the patient's overall dental status. Overall health status and other injuries, including the hemodynamic stability, is, uh, is going to play a large role here. In some patients, close reduction with MMF can be employed. But the tendency for these um, is to perform operative intervention. Again, the midface will almost always be retracted posteriorly and inferiorly due to the muscular attachment of the pterygoid muscles. So a Lafort fracture is going to require a good amount of force to disimpact the palate anteriorly and inferiorly. And that becomes the more difficult the longer we wait. 
After disimpaction, we're going to reestablish native occlusion and then lock the patient into maximum mandibular fixation so that we know we're preserving their occlusive status. Then we can move the entire mandible and lower midface as a single unit to anatomically reduce and then fixate the other vertical buttresses and horizontal buttresses. This usually requires multiple approaches, uh, a transoral approach through a gingival buccal sulcus incision, transorbital approaches, and or coronal approaches. And again, if there's a palate fracture, splinting can be an ideal treatment here to prevent cant that will impair occlusion long-term. And Dr. Bevins, what discharge recommendations and instructions do you give to these patients? Typically, we're following these patients uh, closely um, around one-week intervals for reassessment and uh, potentially for additional surgical planning at that time. All these patients are placed on no-chew diet to avoid transmitting the biting force across potentially unstable fracture lines. And then because of the involvement of the sinus passages, we want to place them on sinus precautions for the first two to four weeks to prevent air emphysema. Thanks, Dr. Bevins. So that concludes our episode on Lafort fractures. Thanks for listening. 